Hello and welcome to Wine Splitting DTSP. We are coming to you live from beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm Heidi, one third of Wine Splitting, along with Tara. And I'm Courtney. And the three of us were all students of wine, studying in our own ways, some for a long period of time, some for a short period of time. And when we found each other, we realized it goes a lot better when we combine forces. <laughs> So come and join Wine Splaining DTSP as we taste the world and St. Petersburg and learn all about wine. Okay, we are on our first red of the evening. So we are about to taste the Felsina Baradanga 2015 Chianti Classico Reserva. Um, just a little side note, I picked this up at Mazzaro's this afternoon and let me just say that they have the most awesome selection of Italian wines there. I knew what I was looking for, but if, even if I didn't, they are so helpful and you will find exactly what you're looking for with or without their help. So let's get started. Okay. Oh, that's pretty on the site. Deep concentration. Or medium concentration. Yeah, like yeah. clear on the edges, but at the heart of it, you know, pretty opaque. Okay, so we're seeing a little room variation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely hints of like, I don't know, I feel like I see it, like little hints of orange. Yeah, I see that as well. Which, again, knowing it's Sangiovese, I would look for that. And mm -hmm. anytime I see that, I immediately start thinking Sangiovese. And it's definitely bricky too. Mm -hmm. Which and could be a sign room. of age. And the rim variation also yes. shows that um, it's it's not drastic, but it's mm -hmm. it's, it's enough there. to know that there's some years on this bottle. Mm -hmm. Which Italians have some of the most extensive aging requirements on their best wines, which mm -hmm. we're drinking a lot of this evening. So anytime you see a little bit of age, and if it's at all talking to you about Italian, you should be thinking of a DOCG level wine. Mm -hmm. All right, on the nose. Yeah, I'm just getting like cherry to the face, like yes, cherry punch, yeah, cherry syrup, sour cherries, though, sour a little cherry. bit, yeah, yeah, some artificial cherry, mm-hmm, even I get, like it's just so cherry. I get a little bit though of like not rose petal, but there's something just a touch floral, but definitely not the primary note. Cherry's no. the primary note. Maybe dried flowers. Yeah, I think that's more what it is, like a little potpourri. Um, a little, little dustiness kind of a little mm -hmm. bit to it. Yeah. Like you just picked them and it was really hot outside and had rained in a couple days you and know, the fruit's a little get dusty. That off of Chianti's for some mm -hmm. reason. Um, is that that dust? So, in full disclosure, uh, before we started the podcast, before we started officially tasting any of these wines, Tara made Heidi and I a uh, spaghetti dinner. Oh. <laughs> Earlier tonight, yes. And it was amazing. It was and amazing. we decided that there was no possible way we could eat that without having some wine. So we did open this wine and have it with dinner, yeah. like the first third of the bottle. But even though we didn't really pay attention to it then or, or spend a whole lot of time analyzing it, I feel like this news has changed. What do you guys think? I mean, the, the big note for me, like that first initial smell is the same to me. Yeah. Um, but that floral note is mm -hmm. new. I think mm -hmm. that's what has kind of opened up yeah. out of the wine. I definitely get, I'm getting some tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, like something herbal, like. Yes. Um, I think a little 
Like it almost is like menthol, but it's it's a little, it's got a little piercing in it. So what? Uh, tarragon. I, actually, oregano. I think it's a little yeah, bit more pungent. Really and a little bit of rosemary, but not fresh rosemary, like dry right. rosemary. Something that like it's lost a little bit of its potency, yeah. but it's still there. So would you say the intensity is moderate or higher than that? I'd say moderate, moderate plus. plus. Yeah, I don't want to say high, but definitely moderate plus. Should we taste? Let's go for it. Mm. Mm. Good tannins. Mm-hmm. Grippy. Mm-hmm. Um, like at least moderate mm-hmm. plus there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very light on the palate. It's dry. It's earthy. I'm getting like I got. Whereas I got that like strong cherry note on the nose. I'm getting like pure earth and minerals and dirt and animals on the palate. I'm getting almost no fruit. Well, to go off of that dusty note off the nose, it's almost like dusty tannins. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost kind of the texture of it a little bit. Yeah. They're not harsh. They're not overly young. But they still have a little bit of grip to them. Yeah. And I feel like that's, it's so good to mention the tannins in this wine because that's one of the reasons that this is such a good food wine. Mm-hmm. Um, not to to bring it back to food. <laughs> Look, there was really good spaghetti, Tara. It was excellent. <laughs> um, the, the, the tannins are good because they can stand up to the food and food softens them and they go well. Tannins go well with umami. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very easy to see, oh, yes, this is a food wine because of that. When we first opened it up, I really was getting a lot of sour cherry. And even right now on the nose, but after tasting it, I feel like it's more dried cherry than it mm-hmm. is sour or even fresh. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting more sour cherry on the palate than I was getting on the nose. Mm-hmm. I think the cherry on the palate's gotten stronger. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's also, you know, we're not m- commingling those flavors with the flavor of like the, the marinara or the spaghetti, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's stronger. By the way, it was excellent with the spaghetti. I don't know if it I said really that. It was really good. good. <laughs> I could have kept eating that all night. And so earlier, uh, we're not mentioning it now, but I know at dinner you mentioned that it it smelled like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I have a hard time. Like, yeah, it goes great with tomatoes, but I don't know that I'm picking up the tomato notes. Like, how how are you smelling? To me, it's it's not the tomatoes from the store, which don't really have a scent for me. Mm -hmm. They're just there. And oddly enough, I'm not a tomato aficionado. In fact, I didn't really start eating tomatoes until I was older as an adult. And I feel like my taste buds changed a little bit. Uh, plus, I realized that it didn't all have to be bland beefsteak tomatoes. <laughs> um, to me, it smells like my grandfather used to make uh, grow tomatoes on the vine. And it smells like tomatoes on the vine. It, it has a little bit of that green note that comes from the vine. Yeah. Uh, but mixed together with that that cherryness and that and that fruit part of it too it's almost like stewed tomatoes or like mm-hmm. tomatoes that are like so warm from the sun outside that they're kind of mm-hmm. squishy i think when i had my first really excellent uh caprese salad that someone made with tomatoes that they grew and it was like mm-hmm. an heirloom variety that that was the first time I liked tomatoes and I've liked them ever since. And that has always been the bar for me. And once I had that, I get that out of San Giovese now. I'm getting more of the um, herbal notes again, like 
It's a little... It's that it's fennel or anise or yeah. tarragon, like you said, like one of those liquors. Well, and I think you can't deny also, you know, the vine of the tomato. That would be that mm -hmm. that little bit of that green note, maybe like touch pyrazine note. Okay, so how would we know what this is? I well, think the color mm -hmm. and, and just looking at it, the sight is a good indication of what this could be. That orange note. Yeah. That I mean, that should that should be sending some pings off in your brain. Um, and I know we're gonna taste this later, but Nebbiolo also will have the orange. How would we know that this isn't Nebbiolo? I might be able to answer that question a little bit better once I have the Nebbiolo in the glass. But I think Sangiovese, and please, audience, correct me if I'm going off on a limb here. Um, Sangiovese is a little bit redder to me. And a little bit more of that garnet ruby, like it's it's the brick, brick red, the brick red combined with that touch of that orange rim to it. Uh, it's a really specific color combination, and I don't know if I'm describing it correctly. But every time I see it, I feel like that's what I have to start thinking about. That being said, Heidi, you and I a few weeks ago before we started doing the podcast, uh, Tara was out of town, and we did um, a blind tasting at a local. Uh, bar. Uh, shout out to Hawthorne. Hawthorne Thank you. Shop. Thank you so much. Because uh, we just walked in and we're like, this is what we need you to do. And that bartender <laughs> was like, cool, it. I'm here for it. Let's do it. Yep. Uh, but he served this um, really interesting little Sangiovese. It was from Tuscany, mm -hmm. but not from Chianti, not from Brunel, not like those classic designation like is on the chart. And I don't I don't know if it was in a, in a, in a more extracted style um, a more macerated style, but the color in that was so dark mm -hmm. and rich and it had no rim. So I couldn't see any orange notes. I was like, no way, it can't be Sangiovese. It was. <laughs> Heidi, you nailed it. I didn't. <laughs> I would also say from someone, as someone who loves Nebbiolo, um, to me, that's so light. It's like almost lighter than Pinot Noir a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm going to look to the lightness to help me distinguish between those two. Are there any other grapes though that we've tried so far that have that slight garnet color? I feel like we've tried some other. Unfortunately, not a whole lot that are uh, like yeah. popping immediately to mind. Yeah. I feel like I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night and go, aha! <laughs> Was one of the Tempraneos maybe have like a slight garnet color? It can, I, but I, it's not gonna be, it, it, this translucent. Uh, okay, now this is a. I think it's the aging part of it, yeah. you know. And 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 this was, you know, my mistake. You know, it was a Maremma. It was a Maremma Sangiovese that you and I had. Oh yes. at Hawthorne. Yep. It was excellent, but young. It's a young style mm -hmm. Sangiovese, and the traditional examples that I've studied over the past, you know, 10, 13 years I've been studying, um, have always been Chianti and Brunello, which are aged Sangioveses. I think we forget what. A couple of years in barrel and aging before release will will do for a wine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so some of what we I, I think the aging of Sangiovese really brings out that more orange mm -hmm. note to it. I'm getting some heat from um, alcohol also in my throat just as we're talking. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay, Not so as much as those Pinot Grigios. <laughs> so this one is thirteen and a half percent. Highest alcohol we've had so far, but yeah. I felt like I experienced more heat in the back of my throat from the Friuli yes. Pinot Grigio that I have for this. But couldn't that be balanced? So that's what's so interesting mm -hmm. about that question Absolutely. on the deductive tasting Absolutely. format. Like, does anything stick out? Does any element dominate is what it says. So 
I feel like with those Pinot Grigios, it's like mm -hmm. that alcohol was so noticeable. Whether or not it was super high, it was very noticeable. Mm -hmm. Whereas this isn't noticeable unless you're looking for it because there's so much flavor and texture and tannin. And I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but the acidity is so balanced on this. Mm -hmm. I get the acidity just on the edges of my tongue. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just... When I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I am still getting some salivating going on. Mm -hmm. That's acid, mm -hmm. but it's not something that jumps out in a harsh way. For me, if I were to say what's one overwhelming note I get, I would say probably tannin, mm -hmm. at least oh, yeah. on palate. But obviously on the nose, it's something totally different because you can't smell tannin. Sorry, that was obvious, everybody. <laughs> Sometimes I get really obvious. <laughs> Anything else that... Don't confuse Chianti with Maroma. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. Well, luckily for us, Maroma is not an option on our this is true. certified yeah. tasting exam. But I mean, I think with that too, you could say, you know, maybe the grape is Sangiovese, but it's from a warmer climate. Uh, Maroma is south of Tuscany. Mm -hmm. And that would give it, you know, hotter. Maybe less influence from... Um, the Tyrrhenian Sea and, and the, the Mediterranean and what have you. Actually, there was one point I wanted to cover. Um, Heidi, you said that you went into Mazzaro's specifically looking for this particular Chianti Classico Reserva. Can yes. you tell us why? Well, I came across a list of all the ex perfect examples of the grapes that we're going to be tested on on our exam. And so they just gave a list of producers and the vintage of the wines that you really want to be tasting. And this was one of them. And so of course, Mazzaro's had it. And, um, you know, if you're doing tasting for an exam or something like that, you really want to try to keep it to the best examples so mm -hmm. that you can really, really, um, you know, pinpoint what, what you know you're supposed to be looking for. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not so sure, especially with the last Pinot Grigio that we, we're able to do that. <laughs> but um, I think with this one, it, it, it's a great example of a Chianti Classico Reserva. I can actually say I've had this wine before. Mm -hmm. um, over the course of the years, I've had it several times. It has never failed me. It's always been a great experience. Um, Chianti Classico Reservas have gone up in price over the last 10 years or so I've been drinking them. But uh, I will say, even though Reservas are going to cost you a little bit more than they used to. It's almost, if I'm drinking Chianti, I have to drink a Reserva because they, they really do just. I think it's worth it to spend a little bit more on a Chianti and go to a Reserva than just a, a Classico. Of course, it depends on the producer. If you know what, what good producer. Oh, there's some amazing producers yes, out there. There are. And even from outside the Classico region, I've had a few that have just blew my socks off and they were at a price point. I'm like, I can drink a Chianti that tastes like this, mm -hmm. this price point. They are hard to find. It's hard to find. It's, and it's hard to, if I'm just being presented with a wine list and no guidance from a server perhaps, or just walking in a shop and maybe it's a shop that doesn't have, you know, the staff like they do at Mazzaro's, mm -hmm. uh, it, it would be hard to pick something that I know is going to make me happy uh, yep. below Reserva. Hi, Machka. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cat. <laughs> All right. Well... I could wax poetic about this for a while, but that's a good wine. But the, but we this also is a thinking wine. <laughs> it is a thinking it wine. Is a thinking we wine. have talked about it quite a bit. 
But I'm really looking forward to the fact that we have Brunello and Barolo and Barbaresco up next. Just so. a few more. <laughs> All right, well now we're into our second San Giovese of the night, Brunello de Montalcino. Uh, this particular wine is from uh, made by the producer Macaulay. I've actually never had a Macaulay before, but I've had this particular wine in my personal wine fridge for about four years now. I've been waiting for the right moment to pop it. <laughs> I'm we really excited. So <laughs> yes, we are so lucky to be. So four I'm years ago, when this is a 2010 Brunello, uh, 2010s, have been touted as a magic vintage. It was a hundred point vintage. And at the time, uh, for full disclosure, I was a rep for a certain giant um, wholesaler in the state of Florida. And one of my accounts was Mazzaro's. And I worked directly with um, their wine director there and would help them place their orders there, Reek and what have you. And um, one particular person who worked there, I've known for 13 years, Rob, if you're listening, hi. Uh, everyone go see Rob. He knows everything about Italian wine and everything I know about Italian wine. Rob God. has helped me immensely. <laughs> I definitely, uh, he, he helped form the basis of my knowledge and love and passion for Italian wine. So in 2015, we knew it was a hundred point vintage. We were just waiting for it to get released. And I decided that every little bit of extra money I made, I was going to buy a nice selection of different 2010 Brunellos, as many as I could find. Um, which meant all from Mazzaro's, essentially. <laughs> and I worked with Rob and and I was like, re, you know, recommend to me the ones that you're most excited about, the ones that you would put in. And this is one of the ones that he did. I still have two more at home. Um, <laughs> I will save them for other occasions. Uh, but this is really, really exciting to open. It's almost 10 years old now. Um, and they do say that they're really starting to come into their own, but this could still be aged for another, you know, 15 to 20 years, kept in proper conditions. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think now is a good time to, to give it a whirl. What do you think? Walk <laughs> us through this. I'm so excited. Yeah. All right. Let's look at the site and let's see what is different from Brunello Sangiovese and Chianti Classico Sangiovese. It's darker. Uh, obviously, yeah. It's a lot deeper. Still some room variation, yeah. but I feel not as much. Not as much. Which is weird, because this is an older wine by five years with more time in barrel. What I'm noticing on the rim variation is that the color changes. So it's not like the rim gets significantly lighter mm -hmm. in color. It changes color. So mm -hmm. it goes from like a brick, a deep brick red in the center to very orange so you're getting those orange notes now i know yeah. mm -hmm. i know when we were first uh getting into these wines tara had said that she doesn't always pick up orange notes in wine but yeah. then we brought a lamp into the room and the <laughs> amazing what proper lighting will do <laughs> so all right any other thing that we should notice on I know the site we only give tearing a little bit of credit here but gosh i'm getting like the whole side of my glass is like glazed with this mm -hmm. wine, which just, I think shows um, that we're going to get some good alcohol on this and that uh, there's going to be a lot to this wine, mm -hmm. but not um, this. There's not a lot of staining in the tears, no, which is interesting. I, I would not have expected that. I would have expected more staining. Well, and without that staining in the tears, you know, you have to stay away from the wines that are more intense in terms of thicker skin. So 
everything I would say from probably Syrah on up, maybe. Although Syrah can be light too. Yeah, but I feel like Syrah is one that we always see that's staining in the... Just a touch. Just yeah, a touch. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. All right. Oh, mm. this is why I love Brunello. <laughs> smells good. I'm getting that um, cherry mm -hmm. right off the bat again. Fresh florals this time instead of those dried florals. Yeah, for like sure. Chianti. Some red apple. I can see that. You know what I'm getting? Just a little bit, a little bit of a sweaty note. Little tiny bit of funk. Not much. It's barely there. I really had to dig my nose into it. But I, I love me mm. some funky Italian yeah. wine. <laughs> so to me, that just makes it even better. I'm getting a lot of that like savory notes, which is probably herbs. Um, not, not as dusty as the mm. as the last ones that like you were saying about the flowers, but maybe like fresh oregano or mm -hmm. instead of the dried oregano. For an older wine, there's something more vigorous about yeah. this wine. I'm getting some balsamic. Yeah, maybe that's what I was leaning towards with that uh, slight funk in my note. Funk in my note. So it's yeah, not I even love, English. Me, I, could, <laughs> I love balsamic vinegar. And it, it's not funky to me, it's like delicious. But it's that higher level higher, of balsamic. Yes. It's not yeah, your no, average balsamic. No, it's not. It's that like balsamic to Modena, mm -hmm. where it's, it's which is thicker. It's more concentrated. Which is DOC, like just just like in yes. France, which has AOPs for many things, not just wine. You can have um, AOP butter, AOP salt, mm -hmm. AOP apples. Uh, you they do the same thing in Italy for um, olive oil and balsamic things like that. So what are their fruit? Are there, I feel like there's, or fruits or vegetables. I feel like there's gotta be more than just cherry. You know, we decanted this apple. wine, but I think it's still opening. I mm -hmm. think I it's- I think so too. I think it's not done showing us everything. Maybe some tomato on this one too. I think more of like the pure tomato too, like already been diced, maybe already been stewed a little bit. Yeah. Less of the, the green. green note of the vine. Yeah, I think I think I'm picking up a little marinara sauce. Like a really excellent homemade Ooh, yeah. with great herbs in it. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of basil? Well, I was also gonna say like Sausage in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that could maybe be the fennel mm -hmm. coming through. That mm -hmm. spicy note mm -hmm. you get. Yeah. All right. Let's taste it. Okay. Yeah, You've made us wait long enough, Courtney. I got distracted. Courtney's over here having a love affair with it. I really oh. am. The wine. <laughs> Man, that's so powerful. Mm. There's a lot going on here. The first thing I noticed was tannin. Yeah, even grippier than grippier. the But than somehow the smoother too, like a, they're very it, well integrated. It's like a more consistent coating mm -hmm. and it's not as dusty. Mm -hmm. It's it's like they're- Wetter. Supple? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good word. Okay. I feel like sometimes when I read tasty notes, they're like supple tannins and I'm just like, you don't even know what that word means anymore. <laughs> Very masculine wine. I mean, I kind of hate putting genders on wine because why? But there's something just very 
strong and... Do you know the image that's playing behind my eyelids is of like a very strong sweaty horse. Yeah, I was getting a little yes. sweat note. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that might have helped me picture mm -hmm. that. But like when you were saying masculine, I'm getting like just it's very muscular and like a sweaty saddle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a clean smell, yeah. but it's definitely you've gone out, you've you've had some activity on the horse. Um, put it through a run, just cotton mm -hmm. back. Uh, I never had horses um, as a young girl. Of course, I went through my horse phase where I just, the only thing I wanted in the world was a horse. <laughs> never got my wish. But there. when I moved to Florida, my best friend in high school, uh, shout out to you, Jesse. I know you'll never listen to this. She's not a wine drinker. <laughs> uh, but she raced um, barrel horses. And I used to go help her take care of her horses before and after the races and that's what it smells this like. Is what you smell? Yeah. <laughs> Man, this finish is so long. It is long. I don't even, it's it's rare that I don't want to take or don't need to take another sip mm -hmm. after tasting it because I'm just, I'm still letting it sit. I mean, this I'm is getting really some good heat, acidity. Definitely some heat. In the back of my throat. I just keep going back and smelling it. I find that the more I drink wine, the wine that catches my attention isn't so much the wine I taste, it's the wine that just makes me want to just bury my nose in it for forever. Because mm -hmm. there's just something mysterious about it, something more to smell, there's so many layers and complexity to it. See, and I I would say that this is an elegant wine as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's very, I think, elusive or mysterious or... Elegant kind of plays into that. Like I'm getting like visions of silk, you mm -hmm. know, of just that, like the way that it flows and mm -hmm. it's kind of sexy. But there, there's, there's sure. a, this wine is alluring. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely agree with that. Being a little note of violet now, lilac, just a touch, but that's my favorite <laughs> note to smell in a wine. They, these ladies have heard me say that all the time and they see me get really giddy about any wine <laughs> I describe like that because it's my favorite she thing. She likes purple flowers. <laughs> Do! All right? They're just really good. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to talking about why this isn't a Chianti. Okay. Why this isn't a Tempranillo. Why this isn't something else that we might, a Cabernet, I don't know, something else that we might confuse it with well go ahead Heidi. well no for for being the same grape as the last wine <clears throat> it's like night and day for me I mean, okay it, this is a lot a lot more powerful it's masculine i think is a really good mm -hmm. way to describe this this the previous chianti uh, classical reserva we just had that was a little bit more like feminine i guess i would say it was just it was more quiet in a in a in a balanced kind of way it, this is and you just, know what's crazy is we're saying that about a reserva level wine, yeah you know from an excellent producer from chianti if anyone is going to make the most complex robust you know nuanced style of chianti classical reserva I, I think we can rely on felsina so i'm glad that you zeroed in on that because i think that is like one of the main differences and i think we're going to be this is foreshadowing a little bit but when we get to the nebbiolos that's something I've read about Nebbiolo with our 
Barbaresco and Barolo. One is masculine, one is feminine. One is the king and, and, and the other one is the queen. Yeah, so I wonder if we can make that same analogy when tasting these two Sangioveses next to each other. You know, to me, I think I've always thought about Brunello and Chianti Classico as more like brothers. But one is like mm-hmm. maybe more showy, flashy brother. And yeah. the other one's more the the, okay. the quieter, but the hard worker yeah, that gets everything done. <laughs> so one grape that I love that I might confuse this with is Tempranillo. Mm-hmm. So I feel like with Tempranillo, you might get this sort of concentration where it's, you know, mm-hmm. medium, medium plus concentration. Um, red, but with some garnet notes. Um some more brick red, which is almost means more brown rather than orange. Mm-hmm. Did we get orange notes from the Rioja? So before we started the podcast, we did study Spain and we drank um, some amazing versions of Tempranillo. We had a Crianza, um, a Reserva and a Gran Reserva from Rioja. Uh, I think a Crianza and a Reserva from Ribeiro del Duero. Refresh me, ladies. Do we find any orange notes? I remember there being some garnet in that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not brown, because I don't think we tried anything with this age on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely some of that orange or, or garnet color. But And and I also got with the, the Tempranillos, you often get leather, you get tobacco, you get some of that um, those earthy notes. Well, you mentioned tobacco with the Chianti Classico, mm-hmm. Heidi. Yeah, so that's that's those are some of the reasons why I think these are really similar. Mm-hmm. But what the difference is between a Tempranillo and a Sangiovese in general, so this goes for Chianti or um, for the Brunello, is that Sangiovese is like a pretty high tannin wine, whereas the Tempranillo is going to be much more mild in the tannins. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me, that's what I'm going to remember. Because um, I, I feel like I got cherry and I feel like I got leather on both of these. And those mm-hmm. were kind of my two biggest notes on both of those wines. But this, I'm just, it's, my mouth is full of tannin. And on the Tempranillo, I think we were kind of searching for it. We felt like it was a much softer wine. Or just they, the tannins were so integrated that they didn't jump out as a really a primary sensation or a primary note. Whereas with both of these Sangioveses, it's tannin first, and then we experience everything else. Mm-hmm. And so I think you've nailed it there, Tara, um, where paying attention to the quality of the tannin on Sangiovese versus Tempranillo, Tempranillo is probably going to be, you know, your your guide to truth there when it when it comes to deductive tasting. So, any other thoughts that we have? Was there anything else that we can confuse this with? Maybe Nebbiolo, but we haven't right. tried it yet. <laughs> I think we can be very clear that this is old, old world. Yes. Um, just with so many earthy notes and herbs and the fruit is kind of an afterthought. The fact that we came yeah. up with that little bit of that sweaty note, I very rarely get mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. with uh, New World wines. Right. So we, we talked about how old this is, but how would we guess this in a wine tasting? Because I think for me, the lack of of room variation would make me think that this was a lot younger. But at the same time, the color gradient might tip you off a little first. I feel like that's the first thing to show age isn't necessarily like a deep, you know, water rim on a wine, but more 
if you can clearly see a transition mm -hmm. from one color to another color, that generally happens after a bit of time in mm -hmm. barrel and bottle. Okay. I think like the, that tobacco or leather, um, an herb note can sometimes be secondary mm -hmm. uh, characteristics that come out with age. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm just getting a lot of alcohol. Yeah, what is the alcohol absolutely. on this one, Courtney? So the alcohol on this is 14%. Okay, so this is a yeah. potent extracted yeah. wine. And I might have to go back and double check this, but I believe there is a minimum requirement for alcohol on Brunello. And they're not, basically, Italy will not let you make a, a would-be Brunello, at least in terms of alcohol. <laughs> but then, I mean, that's that's good to know because then you know if you're getting strong alcohol. Like, I don't think Tempranillos are weak, but I also don't think that, that was a predominant feature. And I've said this for a little while now, and I, and I think this theory is, is proving out, but um, I find that even though alcohol is supposed to be an indicator of warm climate, I find that the absolute hottest climates are still able to balance their wines, mm -hmm. their red wines, their alcohols really, really well, mm -hmm. because nobody wants to drink a super high alcohol red wine when it's 95 degrees outside. Wow. <laughs> so I feel like the hottest of the hot climates actually do an excellent job that can surprise people, especially in blind tastings of, you expect it to be the most alcoholic or the hottest, and they're they're not always. But I mean, this region is definitely warm Mediterranean oh, yes. climate. Yes. So I feel like this is just spot on for the climate mm -hmm. of what I would expect. I, I I think so. Yeah. You know, definitely some moderating influence um, in Tuscany and in uh, Montalcino, of course. Uh, being that the Mediterranean's not very far, the Tyrrhenian Sea and coast is not very far, and so they're they're allowed to, I think, go a little bit more fun with some of these other characteristics. Awesome! Thanks so much for letting us taste your absolutely. Oh, thank you. Um, I do want to just say one last thing, uh, and we can edit this out if you want to. <laughs> but um, Brunello was the very first wine. I ever fell in love with. Way back when I didn't know wine career was a thing. I didn't know what the word sommelier meant. I was just the part-time weekend worker who put together cheese boards at my little local wine shop. And I did it while I was in college. And the very first time I had a wine that blew my socks off that I'm gonna take the very little bit of money I make. And yes, I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars on a bottle of wine. It was, I think the 2000 or 2001 Valdecava. And it was Rob that introduced me to that wine. And it was the very first wine I ever just fell in love with to the point where I was going to buy it and not drink it for a while. Like that's love. That is I'm going to buy you and, <laughs> and not touch it for a while. <laughs> I have drunk that wine though. since now. It's gone. <laughs> I feel like there's a metaphor there, but maybe that's for a later night version. Oh, of this possibly this after more wine. <laughs> so what, like, what about this? I, think, I feel like everybody who loves wine has that one that turned them mm -hmm. in this direction. But what about what about this one? I mean, it's real good, but what did it for you? I think given that I wasn't really actively studying and I was drinking wine and I knew like what good wine was, but it was the first wine that really just, it just stopped me dead in my tracks. I didn't know wine was capable of being something at that level. 
I didn't know it could be that complex. I mean, I, I did not have the words to describe it at the time, but I knew just smelling it and drinking it, I was having a rare experience that not a lot of people get to have um, or know about. And once I realized that that was possible, I was like, I, I don't want that to stop. I, what else can do that? And I think that's when I really kind of started getting real serious about, I'm not just learning wine so I know how to say words and sound semi-intelligent. Because at that point I was just, I just don't want to look stupid. That was why I was learning about wine. But at that point, that was when I needed to know because I needed to know. Mm -hmm. So I could learn more and I could find other wines like that one that just really, really inspired me. Now that you're years into your, <laughs> now your, years into your, your wine education, how does Brunello stack up? Do you still love it? I do. Have you replaced it? Well, <laughs> you know what? I have a really great answer to this and I kind of want to give it in another segment. Well, you'll have to keep listening. But let me just out. say it, it is, it, it does have something to do with another Italian wine. And there is a master sommelier out there who said that the same thing happened to her. And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> we'll have to wait for a future episode to find out what that mystery group is. Okay. Hey, Wine Splainers, we're taking a short break to number one. Say thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we hope that you're enjoying the podcast, expanding your wine repertoire and knowledge, and just having fun with us. If you have any questions at all, feedback, food pairings, even wine suggestions you'd like us to taste, please connect with us. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under the name Wine Splaining DTSP. We'll be having some events and just some fun things in general coming up. So the only way you'll know about them is if you're following us on our socials. So once again, we appreciate you. And now back to the cast. Okay, we are back with our third of four Italian reds this evening, all derived from the deductive tasting chart as recommendations of excellent examples we should try if we want to think that we know what we know. Um, so for the first one that we have, th this is the Nebbiolo portion of the, of the evening. And we have two, we have a Barbaresco and we have a Barolo. The first one we're going to do is the Barbaresco. This is specifically Mocha Gata, a 2015 Barbaresco from their single vineyard Brick Balin, which I'll be honest, the first time I saw it, I was like, Brick Balin, it's Brick Balin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so American, it's painful. <laughs> But you'll never forget it now, will you? Uh, this was also uh, chosen from Mazzaro's uh, with a little bit of help and guidance from their staff there. Um, I knew pretty much what I wanted and uh, what I was looking for. And I picked a couple of examples and I just asked for their recommendation on what would be good to drink now at a relatively young age because this is a 2015. Of course, most Barbarescos and Brolos are meant to be aged before they are drunk, but... You know, needs must. <laughs> and this one in particular was recommended as being light and fairly ready to go, even at 2015. So with that caveat in mind, let's take a look at the site. Medium plus concentration. You know, almost like the same concentration that the Chianti had, 
but with a little bit more color in common with the Brunello. Mm -hmm. Even though we're talking about totally different grapes here, which is a little weird. So is it possible for the color to change as the wine opens? I don't know. I don't think so. Because I'm feeling like now I'm getting a lot more of that that orange, whereas before I was getting, when we first poured this, I was getting more brick red. brown edges mm -hmm. on a brick red center, and now I'm getting like a nice gradient no, I can to see orange. That. Maybe. Maybe our eyes have adjusted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> more likely. I'll be honest, like the visual similarities to Sangiovese, I, I don't know that I could just based off a of sight, lean one way or the other. See, to me, this is more garnet than it is brick. Okay. Throughout the whole yeah. pour. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and move on to aroma and bouquet. Gosh, it's so floral. Now that's very mm. different. Very different. I mean, raspberry, but also mm -hmm. licorice and anise. Very floral. Like, I, I I know I'm not even jumping on that yeah. right now, but it is, you like know. White rose almost, pink rose. It's very light. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm gonna go back to a little bit of my purple flowers. <laughs> I think there's some lilac here, but I also agree with the rose. Like, if I'm really um, being brutally honest and, and trying to evaluate what particular flower I'm smelling. I, I think you're totally right here. I think this is rose. Mm -hmm. Almost like one of those heirloom roses that I don't know how to grow, but I know people do. But like they a fresh amazing. rose in a garden. Yeah, not not cut yet off the off the bush. We're getting any tar. So one of the, the tasting notes that we should expect. So what's classic of Nebbiolo is roses and tar, which I just think could maybe explain why these wines are so well known and so sought after is to me like roses and tar could you have a better juxtaposition of like it seems sexy, so beautiful different. feminine and like <laughs> yeah. rough gross masculine and this you really are getting that from this wine mm -hmm. i think well yeah i think you've answered your question the tar is there it's it's funny because you you may not especially if you're blinding, like be looking for it or even think about it. But I think the more you focus on the rose, it's weird how it seems particularly attached to the rose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's almost like it's tar surrounding it, which sounds terrible, but there's actually it's something really, yeah. really beautiful about <laughs> it. I mean, there's so much there. I feel like I'm... It's very romantic on the nose. Yes. Yes, that's a great word for it. Feels like it has a story. There's there's a book yeah, yeah. someone has written, and I hope there's not a book. And <laughs> Would you say? I know we talked about the Brunello as being very masculine and powerful. Um, I'd say that this is a very feminine wine, maybe there's because of that romance. Yeah. There's something that's brighter about it, just like a little bit of like more perfumed and like mm -hmm. a higher point at the nose, and also. I, you know, I'm not getting that sweaty note, mm -hmm. like that no. the horse note. That's a good no. point. Not that women can't ride horses, right. because I literally just and talked about that for a while. while. We do sweat. <laughs> <laughs> but we also like to think that the horse sweats and not the woman. That's true. That's right. And I would say this wine is glistening. It is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, do we want to go ahead and taste? Because yeah. can't resist that for much longer. Interesting. Mm. Those tannins are definitely different. Not as 
grippy, not as kind of like firm, but they're there. Like there's nothing weak about them, but not they're just, you know what, to go back to like that typical tasty note, um, what is it uh, that they say about Berlin Barbaresco? It's, it's that, uh, iron fist wrapped in velvet. Mm-hmm, like these tannins mm-hmm, are that mm-hmm. velvet. That is that, uh, that velvety part of this. Yeah. I got this very much at the front of my mouth. Um, the tannins seemed like very short lived. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's that diminishing palette Palettes. that we were reading yeah. about is like, well, and they soften. Yeah. It softens quickly, like noticeably in your mouth. Like it's really powerful at first or not pow- powerful is the wrong word, but it's very dramatic, dramatic. at first. Yeah. Um, and then it, like extroverted and then it quiets mm-hmm. quickly. <laughs> you know, we were just talking about, um, that's kind of like a little bit of chit chat in between segments. Um, about how, you were saying Tara about how the Brunello, it's like, it's, it's amazing and it's wonderful. And you kind of just like want to spend time alone with it, uh, just on your own, like a date, but at the same time, it's exhausting. Like you finish oh, your yeah. glass and you're just kind of done. <laughs> yeah. I feel like some of these wines, especially as we move, you know, bigger and bigger sometimes means more and more complex. And that's definitely what I'm experiencing so far tonight is that as we're tasting through these wines, they're getting more and more complex, which your brain works so hard to identify the flavors and you're so engaged and you have to be paying attention every second. And that's exhausting. And yeah, after the, uh, after the, um, Brunello, I was ready for it now. (laughs) Now we're on now we're on to the next thing, and it's it's pushing my mental ability for sure, which this is, is a good thing. This is what it means to be professionals, you yes. guys. <laughs> but one of the reasons I bring that up is I think with the palette on this Barbaresco is, you know, the Brunello was like not cutting you a break. It was mm-hmm. pay attention to me mm-hmm. at all times. At all Don't times. stop thinking about right. me. Whereas the Barbaresco like softened. It's just like, yeah, I'm beautiful and you're staring, but, you know, we, we can just... Be calm together. We can chill a little. I'm going to flit away and make you think about me while I'm gone. I feel like the palette on this is a little bit more restful. Mm-hmm. Whereas yes. Brunello was just like, you were fun, yes. but you were exhausting, and I can't do that all the time. <laughs> I like that description a lot. Are we getting anything different on the palette than we are on the nose? I'm still getting, like, to me, this is exactly the same on the palette. As I agree. The it's very consistent. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the one thing we need to pay attention to here is if, again, if we're looking for uh, markers for how do you differentiate blind, you know, we haven't really said cherry. We haven't said tomato. We've leaned hard on the raspberry. Um, and if you think about it, you know, it's it's kind of like the sweeter red fruits, the mm-hmm. ones that have a little bit more natural residual sugar, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, tomato and sour cherries, not a lot of sweetness there. You know, more of that savory side of things. So maybe that's another hallmark to look for. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have said that they confuse Nebbiolo with Sangiovese, but I feel like those are two very distinct things from our experience tonight. Mm -hmm. What I would say is that this could maybe remind me of a Pinot Noir. It's Mm -hmm. light. I think it's incredibly aromatic. We had this poured in our glasses and without even sticking our nose in it, (laughs) I feel like we were getting some of those those aromas. the florals and that that earth and that minerality of, you know, we're saying tar. I don't really get tar from Pinot Noir, but I, I do get black earth sometimes, which might be 
fairly comfortable, that light body, um, or like, yeah, light body without considering the tannins. So how do we know that this isn't? Well, I mean, so for you, know. it seems like you were saying that the difference was pretty stark. For me, I could see visually where the confusion might begin because visually there were a lot of things in common mm-hmm. with Sangiovese. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think, you know, it, it is in the subtler differences. It is in the way that the tannins express themselves differently. I think especially when we get to the Barolo, which is supposed to be the more intense, that in particular juxtaposed to the Brunello Sangiovese mm-hmm. might be a more interesting yes. comparison, but at least for this Barbaresco, I mean, the fruit difference is pretty night and day. The, the the quality of the weight and the tannin is pretty night and day. And uh, I, I think going back even to what you said, it was that floral nature. So for someone who just learned about terpenes not too long ago from, mm-hmm. from Heidi and, and, and I'm wanting to get more comfortable with that level of vernacular, uh, because I do think that that is a, a great way to think when you're trying to get to the truth in the blind tasting, Nebbiolo just has more terpenes. Mm-hmm. It has yes. more floral. I picked up on some floral notes. We all did in the Brunello, but I think we can easily say that that was, you know, at a four or a five, and this is at like a nine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So sometimes evaluate things in, in that kind of context. So it's like, okay, okay, there's floral and then there's floral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I getting a flower? Or am I getting predominant? A giant rose bush. <laughs> also getting some some herbs here. Again, not as much as the Sangiovese. Yeah. Well, we leaned a little bit more to the spicy ones, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of the anise, a little bit, uh, although we did say that about Brunello too. I'm just talking myself in yeah. circles at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good to, to test it out and then challenge yourself because I feel like when you start saying it, you're like, well, am I really, am I really getting that note? Or- Always look at your own bias, biases. You know, it's, I, I feel like... It's a really important lesson. I, I'm constantly having to remind myself, you know, you, you like weird examples of Chardonnay and weird examples of Sauvignon Blanc, and that's not always the correct markers to have for typicity. Mm-hmm. And I think those of us who especially get into this because we like those nerd things or those weird things or those kind of out of the box thinking of some like really cool cutting edge producers, it's not typicity. And I, I find myself always having to like go back and refresh myself. Or what's like typical to you. Like I feel like if mm-hmm. you have an association with some mm-hmm. aroma or some flavor, maybe that's not what, the general population's tasting notes will say, but if you always recognize that one thing in that wine, it's important to remember that. I will say working with you two ladies, I feel looking back over our notes, looking back when we compare things to say what like Wine Folly says about typical tasting profiles and Guild Song says about typical tasting profiles. And then even what the specific tasting notes for the specific wine that we try with their, I, I think we align pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think that you guys certainly help. We pull out the complete picture of the wines that we try. Like you, the way you can come up with honey on that Pinot Grigio when yeah. I could not come up with that word. <laughs> I that, that was so key for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, but once you point out that it's there, it's so obvious, which is mm-hmm. what's fun about tasting it. It is, because everyone's going to 
have a different experience with the wine. I mean, it's, even though it's going to be, you know, the duplicity we're looking for, but you might pick up something, Courtney, that I'm not going to pick up. And then once, you know, the light bulb comes on, you're like, oh, yeah. Why didn't I see this before? Why didn't I smell this before? Why didn't I taste yeah. this before? Well, and the thing I'm going to say is it's not that you didn't smell it. It's not that you didn't taste it. But the word was just escaping you. Yes. You didn't quite, like, you knew the connection was there and you were searching to make it. But, you know, you needed a little bit of help. That's actually how most of us get started. Mm -hmm. um, I would have customers come to me a lot and be like, well, how do you learn to talk about wine? How do you learn to do this? And a lot of it's just, I hate to say practice. The more you talk about it, it, the easier it is to do. Yeah. And practice involves a lot of I drinking. Taste it. That's the fun part. Well, when I was first getting started, like I, I, I would stalk other people that would know more about wine than I did. I would literally lurk around quarters mm -hmm. listening to them talk about wine. Well, and how helpful do we find it to listen to Guild Song's blind tasting videos mm -hmm. where they were wine tasting and discussing it together as a group and making those initial and final conclusions based off of certain aspects of the the color or the aromas that they were getting. Definitely inspired a lot of our format. Um, mm -hmm. If you have access to the Guild Song, it is a paid um, website. Parts of it are. So some Parts of it are. You can actually find them on YouTube, though, if you just... That's true. They, they've loaded a lot mm -hmm. of their content onto YouTube, and I, and I have to say... You know, that was really kind and awesome of them because it is yeah. some of the best wine content on YouTube. Um, but also, you know, as podcaster, podcasters, we listen to a lot of other podcasters and we listen to other people talk about wine. Absolutely. And it helps us talk about wine. So before we wrap this one up, I'd like to go through some of the structural stuff just okay. to get it down on paper. So those tannins are getting more and more powerful to me. Really? Okay. Let so me. I think I would say... Out of all of the reds that we've had tonight, this is the third that, this is probably the most powerful tannic wine that we've, that I've tasted for I me. I feel like there's the most tannins, yeah. but they are so gentle. They go away very quickly. I mean, it's right there. It's the all beginning. in the front half of your tongue. Yeah. I'm getting it's, that chipmunk teeth. Yeah. It's, it's not totally <laughs> wiping out your whole mouth no. and your whole palate, but the half that it has, it's... It, it is. You're right. It's more powerful in some ways yeah. than the Brunello. My tongue feels like it wants some water or something. Mm -hmm. um, and my lips feel a little dry. Like I'm, I'm getting the tannin very mm -hmm. powerful on this. Um, and I, I feel like a couple of sips have felt pretty high alcohol. Do you know what the alcohol mm -hmm. is on this one, Courtney? Uh, let's look. It's hiding it. It's on the side in really tiny letters. 14.5. All right. Oh. We're moving up in alcohol. Yeah. We, we have actually, not on purpose, but... Have steadily moved up with every, every wine single by like a half step. What are we gonna get in the Brunello? Uh, the Barolo. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got. I would say this is high alcohol, high tannin. The acidity is there, so I think that this could be. I mean, that, there must be good acidity in this to balance out that tannin and that alcohol. But it's not as apparent to me as maybe what I would expect in a Burgundy. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have that like. I feel like juicy. in Burgundy, the acid is the juicy mm -hmm, thing, mm -hmm. and the tannins often meet it, but usually don't supersede it. Yeah. Whereas, I think that's reversed with Nebbiolo. Interesting. I like I like that description. That makes a lot of sense to me. Is that they're both there, they're both powerful, but one is going to dominate each. Mm -hmm. Tannin here, acidity in Burgundy. Okay. All right. So. 
We'll be back with the last Nebbiolo, the Barolo of the evening. And our final wine for the night is a Barolo. So Barolo is also Nebbiolo, so we're comparing this one especially to the last wine we tasted, um, which is the Barbaresco. Mm -hmm. But we also want to consider this just in the terms of the greater tome of wines that we might be experiencing in the exam. So, um, you don't get to hear the word tome enough. <laughs> Sorry, totally it used is. it out of context. It's the last wine of the night, and it's really late. It's going to get a little weird, Bear guys. Me, right? <laughs> okay, so on the color and on sight, what are we noticing here? When we were when we were pouring it, we noticed gosh, very it's delicate so light. Yes. You know, I would I'd expect more color concentration out of Barolo. Maybe it's because I've been prepped to hear them as the more masculine of Barbaresco or the bigger. They certainly go through more aging. Mm -hmm. um, minimum, uh, Barolo has higher uh, minimum standards of aging than Barbaresco does. It has to spend more time in oak. Um, of course, a Barbaresco producer could choose to put the Barbarescos more in oak, but the longer it takes for you to release a wine to market is money that is not in your pocket to help produce the next vintage. So, so why would you if you couldn't? <laughs> Barolo is aged 38 months, 18 of which are in oak, whereas a Barbaresco is 26 months, nine in oak. So twice as long in mm -hmm. oak, 10, 12 actually more months total aging. Yep. Um, and twice as much in oak. So Barolo, we should be getting more oak flavors, more age. I mean, I will say longer a wine is aged, the more color it loses. So maybe that's, you know, having to differentiate between mm -hmm. science and the impression of what strength and masculinity would otherwise make you think. So I'm getting some room variation on this one. Um, the whole thing is like medium minus concentration. It's actually pretty yeah. light. I can read through it for the most part. I mean, I've seen lighter Pinot Noirs, but that's about it, and not yeah. many. Yeah, but um, definitely getting some of that garnet towards the rim, especially. But throughout the throughout the whole wine, it's more brick red. A, a pretty water white rim too. Like it's I feel like there's like rim. more of a of a water rim to this than has been of almost any yeah. other red wine we've had tonight. Yeah. And so just for context, we're tasting a 2012 La Spinona. Barola Bergera. So 2012, so this is seven years old. It is older than the Barbaresco. That was a 2015. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit more age. All right. So um, the color, obviously, with the garnet, that rim variation, that light color could put us towards um, like a Burgundy, a Pinot Noir, or a Nebbiolo. We know Nebbiolo is very light in color. Um, one of the remarkable things about Nebbiolo is how light it can be, but how forceful it can be in flavor. So the color, the concentration, extremely light, the flavor, tannins, extremely powerful. And I think what we're looking for, like, especially if visually looks like a Pinot, really looks like a Pinot, I think Nebbiolo should have a far more intense nose mm -hmm. than Pinot Noir does. Even though Pinot Noirs can have complex, layered, just complete enigmas and noses that make you want to spend 20 minutes just smelling it. There, there's an intensity component that isn't always there the way that Nebbiolo has that level of intensity. Okay. So on the nose, speaking of, what do you get? What was the primary thing 
upon sniffing this wine that we were like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. You know, for me, it's, um, gosh. All right, disclaimer, I, I've got Barolo at home in my wine fridge. That, that's actually, you know, calling back to an earlier segment. The first wine I ever fell in love with was Brunello, but my follow-up mature lifelong love is now Nebbiolo and Barolo and Barbaresco. Like I have just as many Barolos in my wine fridge as I do Brunello's. This is the most tar intense Barolo I've ever smelled. Like that was absolutely the standout note for me. It's so much tar. Tar, smoke. Well, so I was just telling these ladies that if I did not know that this was a Barolo, I would just on the nose alone, peg this as a Syrah from uh, the Northern Rhone. Why? Okay. What gives you? There that? is some some gaminess character to this. It's definitely animal. Um, again, I get some Brett. Yeah, some Brett. Tar. There's just a lot of. Uh, the only way I could say is funkiness that usually comes along with Syrah. Um. So other things that I get from Syrah are like. The garrigue, right? Mm -hmm. So you get herbaceous notes of sage or rosemary. Mm -hmm. Are you getting any of of that? I'm getting some sort no. of herb. Yeah, for sure. What herb do you think? <laughs> I can't you know, put my finger here. on it. But <laughs> I can figure it out. <laughs> um, I don't. So one thing, like with the garrigue, with the, the Northern Rhones, cause those have thrown me off so many times. Mm -hmm. I come back to the savory notes of like olive and rosemary, right. I, I guess would be my okay. two big ones. And the herbs end up being like very dry, dusky, um, deserty. And whereas I'm not, I'm not getting that dusty note from this. No, I'm not either. But, you know, um, it's so funny that you bring up dusty cause we said dusty for that Chianti. Mm -hmm. And then left that haha in the dust. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist it. <laughs> but uh, definitely a, a freshness to the Nebbiolo that we've had that neither wine invites the term dust. Nair, I say, like that anise tarragon again, mm -hmm. um, like a fresher, lighter. You know, it's just. I, I'm normally in such agreement with both you ladies, and I think that the three of us together, we always pretty much manage to nail most of the notes on the nose and notes on the palate, but I'm having a hard time digging out specifically gamey. I, I don't know if I just have such a, a specific marker in my head for that. We've certainly come across it mm -hmm. in some of the wines that we've had, but to me, like the tar I smell, it's literally a, a fresh laid blacktop, a fresh laid uh, road. And it's more smoky and charcoal-y than it is meaty to me. So I'm not But you're both getting say, it, so maybe it's meat. Me. I would say more like farm barnyard yeah. type, yeah. Um, like hay maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, hay I could see. Yeah. I feel like I'm really or sensitive. cedar. Yeah, for sure, cedar. And Syrah does have notes of yeah. cedar. Like, that is yep, one of yep. the markers for that, too. I, f I love Brett. Like, I am a Brett head. Mm -hmm. I know you are, too, Tara. I, I feel like I have an affinity for it. I love it. And when, you when I out quickly. If you, and when I yeah. experience it, it's not a bad thing to me. I'm like, mm, this is nice. <laughs> 
I, I'm not getting that moment in this wine. It's weird. It so definitely has weird notes to it. I think it's light, and I think that that I'm still, if I were blind tasting this, could be convinced that it was Burgundy. I, I think mm-hmm. the second Heidi said Syrah, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that this one. This could be one of those, like, <laughs> trick Syrahs where I, I don't see it coming. Um, yeah. But for that, I get the, that Garig note. And then the other thing that we're really supposed to pull out out of Syrah is peppercorn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm no pepper. not getting peppercorn no. on this. No. And I have to say, like, we've seen the light-colored Syrahs. You've seen the ones that have been more red um, and that could almost fool you visually as a Pinot. But at the same time, I think that there is a purple element yeah. to those wines, even if red is the primary color that you just don't have with Nebbiolo. This is red to orange, whereas I think Syrahs go red to, to purple or even mm-hmm. like red to pink. Okay, that's a that's a fair thing. And I think sometimes I get the pink and the orange maybe a little mixed up. It can be quite like close. to lighter. Salmon yeah. is, is, is oh my God, it's it's the a color you could argue about. Is it salmon pink or salmon orange? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so we've got a lot of tar. We've got some hay. We've got some herbs um, on this. Any flowers? So going back to that like tar and roses thing. What I'm noticing, just comparing this to the Barbaresco, is the Barbaresco for me was so floral mm-hmm. with a little tar, and this mm-hmm. is so tar. So I'm expecting just a little bit of floral um, to kind of balance that out. So I think through just sheer luck, we've managed to pick kind of like the two ends of the spectrum yes. of that whole tar rose, rose tar mm-hmm. thing, um, which is great. Like if we were to blind these and you know, we called the Barbaresco Barolo. Um, hopefully, with this amount of tar, we won't call the Barolo Barbaresco. But I, like I said, I love my Barolos. Generally, I'm used to them having a little bit more rose than this level of tar. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't be penalized on a on on, on your blind serve, on your blind tasting portion of the test. So at the beginning of the night, we mentioned how the Chianti was you know, the feminine compare, like if we had to pick feminine versus masculine compared to the Brunello, Mm -hmm. this is so apparently not feminine compared to what we just tasted. I mean, Mm -hmm. that Barbaresco to me was just like, if I had to put a color to that wine, it was pink. It was pretty. It was pink. And this is not, I I, I mean, this is delicious and and smells great. dark and moody and. Yeah. This is a red wine. Not a. It's, you know, it's, it's a weird wine. It's, it's definitely that wine that's like, I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. And you just can't take your eyes or your nose or your palate off of it. I'm really mixing my metaphors yeah. right now. <laughs> but I would also say that this isn't quite as aromatic as the last one either. I think mm-hmm. those, um, those terpenes really get me as aromatic notes and, and mm-hmm. this doesn't have quite as many. So maybe let's taste this and yeah, see what we get. Out of it. Well, Actually, I think this is the most acidity. That's what I'm saying. My mouth is watering. Like as soon as it hit my palate, it's like water works. It's weird. I'm getting the acid from this first. Before the tannin. Yeah. Yeah. And we just got through kind of chatting in between a segment, wondering, especially after we had that Barbaresco, which was so tannic before it was acidic. I'm looking for the tannin. Like I'm... Where'd it go? Where where (laughs) is it? I think... That tannin is there, ladies. It's just... It's just weird that it's not our primary note. Take another sip and see if it... 
Is it going to build like the Barbaresca did? Yeah. I was, the I was, first note of Barbaresco, I didn't get tannin. And then like two or three or four sips in, I was like, okay. I'm really smacking my lips going, ooh, I can feel so my So Tana teeth. is telling us to settle down, mm-hmm. Heidi. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. Like there's a lot of acid on this. I think that's, it, it's way more noticeable in this. Okay. I'm, um, I'm getting some of it now. I'm getting it on my lips. Again, size Tara's right. <laughs> so I, th- I think that's super interesting. Like I've never had one where the tannin builds. I feel like a lot of the wines that I'm used to drinking a lot, you get that tannin really up front mm-hmm. and it distracts you from the other stuff. Like it's such a primary note so mm-hmm. early on that you're like, oh, I don't, I like this or I don't. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like, it's like a tease. It's like, here's all my flavors. Here's all my aromas. What do you think of me? What do you think of me? Bow. Here's my tannins. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back to that, you know, iron fist and a velvet glove yeah. sort of thing. So in the fruits, I'm getting cherry. Um, going back to... I'm having a hard time picking the fruit out. I'm with you on that, Heidi. Um, it could be palate fatigue. Yeah, it would be just be. straight up fatigue. It's kind of weird. I don't know night. what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Tuesday now. <laughs> we started our podcast on a Monday, and now it's Tuesday. <laughs> I'm also getting, I mean, again, just like that Barbaresco, this tastes exactly how it smells to me. I'm getting that hay note. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that like slightly Mm -hmm. bready, farmy taste. Um, It's weird. I think that smoke. And and I've never said this before. I think I taste the bread more than I smell it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've never, that's never been my experience with Britannomyces. I love the, I'm so with you. I just yeah. think it's, it's so delicious to drink like a barn full of horse. <laughs> you know, people always look at me like I'm strange and I, I you know what, I remember I, I was very lucky uh, many years ago, I think it was like 2013 or something like that, uh, I was able to go out to Sonoma and I spent a week working in a winery during harvest and crush. Um, for a, a, a primarily Pinot producer in the Russian River Valley, although they also made Chardons and Vendel and things like that. And I did it because I was young enough to think it was fun and, and not like the most intensive physical labor I've ever done in my life, because it was. I easily lost 15 pounds that week, just in that one week. It was so intense. But um, he had this Pinot and I got to taste it in their tasting room. They were kind of doing a vertical and I remember I tasted it and I just started rhapsody, you know, rhapsodizing about it. And it just, it was amazing to me. It had a Brett note and Rick, the winemaker came in at the end. He wasn't there for when I was like gushing uncontrollably over it. And he was like, Oh, I really don't like that wine. I wish we hadn't released it. It's, it's got Brett. Like to him, the Brett was, even mm, though to me it was imbalanced and it wasn't over the top, but it was a straight up flaw to him. Mm. And to me, that was my favorite part about that wine. And that's when I realized, oh, most people think it's a flaw. It's <laughs> interesting. When, like, at what point does a flaw become a benefit or a benefit yeah. become a flaw? So earlier we were talking about the carbon dioxide mm-hmm. that we found in that uh, Friuli Pinot Grigio. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely didn't hurt the wine in, in my tastes and, it, you know, might have enhanced it a little bit because we didn't really love that wine, but it gave us something to talk about. It made yeah. it a little interesting. I think it made it crisper, which, you know, to me, if you've got nothing else going for you other than you're a crisp white wine, 
hey, we live in Florida. That mm-hmm. That's a benefit in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, I, I think that the Brett adds something interesting. Like I like wine because I like country life. I like farming. I like being out in the, in the outdoors. And so I know me, you guys, she has her own yard chickens. <laughs> she has four of them. This They're is amazing. my mini farm before I can open my real farm. I'm addicted. I'm so glad she has chickens because I get her surplus of eggs and me and my <laughs> boyfriend very much appreciate it. <laughs> Anything I can do to get that farm in my life and whether that's through chickens or whether that's through, through your wine. Through my wine. I'm, I'm going to pretend like I'm on a farm. So to me, it's a huge benefit to a wine. But Okay, so you mentioned some stuff about thinking that this could be a Burgundy or that that Brett note, which is very attributed to Burgundy Pinot Noir. How do we know that this isn't a Burgundy? It's aromatic. It's light colored. It's got some Brett on it. What sets this apart? It's got good acidity. I mean, those are all big markers yeah. of, of Burgundy. You know, I wish I could afford to drink more Burgundy because <laughs> I think I would have a more specific answer. Um, I, I've had some excellent Burgundy in my life, just luckily enough through, you know, trade tasting events, meeting with some suppliers, going to some, you know, paired dinners, but it's not something I have frequently. So I'm relying on the memory of something I had mm-hmm. a year ago or two years ago of the really great ones. Because I think regular, just Bourgogne Rouge, not not even anywhere near the same class of level as Merlot and Barbaresco, and we can't really compare the two. But we are specifically talking about Burgundy and how well Pinot can do in Burgundy. And I think the tannins, the quality of the tannins are just a little bit different because okay. Pinot Noirs are tannic. And they do have a cherry note. It's a little bit more just like red fruit driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I almost think the Barbaresco might fool me a little bit more, except for the I fact agree. that it was so intensely floral. Like there were obvious terpenes there that even the most floral burgundy have could you never rise to level. Have off. you had? I know this isn't on our exam, but have you had a German Pinot Noir? Because those are, for me, cool climate. So not recently. Do you find a high level of terpene? I got so the couple I've had have been very very light, very floral, and just feminine and beautiful in pink color. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, just not pink in color, like what you see in the glass, but just that's what I I envision when I'm I tasting think it. the color might be the other indicator too. Again, the red to pink mm-hmm. rather than the brick red to the orange. Someone correct me though. Anyone no, listening, especially anyone be, who has more experience in burgundy than I do. Well, burgundy can definitely have the, the garnet tint to it um well i just don't have a for me the difference is that with burgundy the it's the earth is different so this is like mushroom it's black like the earth is black here Mm -hmm. whereas with a burgundy i get mushroom i get wet leaves i get forest and you don't really get that in this Mm -hmm. this is this is like chemical I agree. No, Venus. I think for the Barbaresco, it was the strength of the floral, which was so high and so bright. And then I think for the Barolo, it was, I don't think anything else but Barolo could ever go this hard on the tar. Like it's such a strong level of tar. I just was expecting way more tannins. I I agree. Yeah. Not, not this much acidity. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Nebbiolo is 
from the word nebbio, which mm -hmm. means fog in Italian. So I guess this, this is a very late ripening grape. So it mm -hmm. goes well, well into the fall. So they pick it very late. Um, and it still has amazing acidity, even being very late picked. Mm -hmm. um, and that fog, I think, just like you'd get in Sonoma, helps preserve the acidity because mm -hmm. it's that gives it a strong diurnal. It keeps it very, very cool during the day, even um, preserving that nice acidity. But yeah, this, I mean, Nebbiolo is supposed to have extremely high acid and extremely high tannins while still being very light in color because it's a light skinned grape. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, I feel like we could go on and on about this. <laughs> it's but, probably um, true. I think we've we've identified some good ways that this is not Syrah mm -hmm. because it doesn't have the pepper. It's not Burgundy because it doesn't have that wet leaves, mushroomy, um, earthy character. It's not Barbaresco because it's not as floral. It leans more towards that that tar. It's more masculine than that. It's weird. Um, I thought it would have more in common though with the Barbaresco than it did. But I will say this. We've been waxing poetic about this Peraldo for, you know, over 15 minutes now. And even though we decanted this wine since being in our glass, it's changing. The nose yeah. has changed. This I actually did wine. wonder if we should have decanted this one, especially since it was the youngest of the big wines, like even more than we than we had. Actually, it's not the youngest. It's Barbaresco was the youngest. Is, but it was the Barolo. But Barolo is supposed to be like the biggest one. Yeah. Maybe yeah. other than the Brunello. It's the reason we tasted it last. So, yeah. Um, I don't, we always struggle with the decanting because what you're going to get when you first taste a bottle and you go to a restaurant is something a lot more fresh out of the bottle. Um, so I think it's helpful to taste it mm -hmm. close to when you open it. Um, but then also give it that space. And this is what makes a thinking wine to me. And this is where we go back to that. I'm on a date. I don't want any of my friends around. I want to be just with my date. And then I want to be able to go to bed after, if you know what I mean. So this is a wine that you want to sit with and you want to be able to think about and you want to be able to stew over and, um, and not have anybody interrupt that romance. Except for us, this threesome oh, right here, right? <laughs> Just as we're on the date metaphor. <laughs> Some menage a trois. Is not the wine though. Not that. <laughs> not this wine. No, this is just this is a singular experience. And I think that's what we've we've learned tonight with all the wines we've tried, all the red wines we've tried, is that there's really something there that you don't get out of, you know, I feel like we've all been to let's be honest, I love Olive Garden. We've all had the cheap wine at an Italian restaurant mm -hmm. that you think is representative of a varietal. You've had a Chianti, you've had a Chianti. Like I've had so many Chiantis, I couldn't even tell you what a Chianti is like. The second you try a Chianti Classico Reserva from a really reputable wine store in town that has picked the exact right producer and you Put it with some sort of amazing food. I mean, then then it becomes something different. Mm -hmm. You you move up into these Barolos and Barbarascos and Brunellos. These are higher price points than most of us are spending. Yeah, on we given we, day. Uh, we we for the least amount of wines we tasted, we dropped a penny penny. Yeah, this is this is an expensive night for our for our <laughs> podcast, but but we're committed to you guys and our education. And You're welcome. 
needs must. <laughs> but it's it's very evident in the wines that we're drinking that these are not wines that you sit on. A, like I love the expression porch pounder. You can have a porch pounder red. Nothing that we've tasted tonight on the red category is that. Mm -hmm. These are, you should have some sort of fat with this, <laughs> some sort of food to cut these tannins and this acidity. Um, you have to sit with this stuff and think about it. You could talk would, about this forever. I wouldn't even say it's like a Tuesday night wine. I would say it's a week, a Friday night, a Saturday night wine, the, the, the reds that we've had tonight. I mean, it's like a long night. A long night. I mean, our spaghetti was great, and I did yeah. not want anything else. Although, I will say, after having this, I'm kind of wondering, where, where does one find really great, you know, game fowl in this town? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I do have some backyard chickens. <laughs> I would never hurt the girls. They give me eggs. <laughs> but maybe their cousins, you know, the partridge and the, you know, what have you. That's getting goose. Really good duck. Yeah. <laughs> Ducks are mean, right? <laughs> Ducks can be very mean. I can tell you some stories. But yes, I, I think that these are food wines. I think this makes us want to expand our palates. And I think we might be extending our Italy study for a few weeks so we can get through some of these again and, and try some of the more interesting, lighter drinking wines versus thinking wines necessarily. Yeah, I mean, Italy. So I, I have such a passion for Italy. Italy was the reason I got serious about wine, as I said in a previous segment. Um, so I, I feel I've, one of the reasons I love it so much is I feel I could spend the rest of my life drinking Italian wine and still experience grapes I've never found before, discovered before, tried before. I'm still learning literal new things every day about Italy and I've been studying it for over 10 years. So this night was definitely about, okay, what, what are the core six that you need to know for your level two, for your quartermasters, you know, even for um, certified specialists of wine, um, even though there's no blind tasting portion there, obviously all six of these wines would be on that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I think you can't just skip over all the other things that all Italy has, fun even if it's not fun. on the chart, like we have, guys, we have to have Suave. Yes. <laughs> we have to have Schiava. We have to have, you know, Cannonau from, from, from Sardinia. There's just so many cool things we can't miss, and we are going to taste a lot of those, I think, in our next podcast. Tune in next week for a drunken exploration <laughs> of the fun wines of Italy. We get chatty. <laughs> well, ladies, oh. as they say in Italy, salute. 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 salute.